Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Welcome. Um, we're going to be in the second chapter of the book of Shemot Exodus, uh, verse four, five. We, we kind of, we did verse four, but we didn't linger on it very long and it had no Rashi. So we'll, we'll start there in case anyone wants to say any more on it. And then we'll jump quickly into verse five. Okay. So verse four, um, which we, we discuss a little bit of the grammar on after, um, the unnamed baby whom we know is about to be named Moshe's mother, puts him by the rushes on the side of the river uh, in a, uh, a little ark that is smelly on the outside, but, but, but not smelly on the inside. The Torah says, His sister kind of stood herself from a distance, which is kind of a, um, a, uh, a retro version of an infinitive. We would have written it as to know, what would happen to him? Yeah, that's what the verse basically means. We talked about was to just to have information about. Sometimes in biblical Hebrew, is more intimate knowledge. Is Someone suggested it may not just be what would happen to him in general, but, but this is setting up that she would be watching the whole unfolding of this baby's life, something portentous was happening. Okay? But the verse itself is rather, is rather easy to understand. She stood herself a little bit of a distance, she couldn't be seen, in order to um, investigate what would be happening next. Renee Babakasha? Yeah, so I wrote a note to myself that there was a comment on um, a comment on uh, that verse from Everett Fox, where he said that to know the better English would be to learn, and the, this first occurrence of the Hebrew word yadoa foreshadows the later theme of the Egyptians and the Israelites coming to, quote-unquote, know or acknowledge God's power. For the moment and in the story that follows, the issue is one of revealing information, Moshe's fate, and the discovery of his crime. Hmm. Thank you, Everett. That was interesting. That, yeah, that does expand on, right? <laughs> sometimes a, a cigar is just as a cigar, and sometimes la da'ad is just to know. And sometimes it, uh, you know, it's take a Buberian approach. It's a light word helping us understand a, a grander theme, right? Um, that, listen, We've said this a thousand times, independent of one, what one's own independent thought is regarding the origin of this text, the mastery of the way it's put together, of the interlocking uh, of words, of the cross-textual themes that are represented just by a couple of roots, um, is it, pretty profound. Okay, so anyway, anyone else on that verse, on verse 4, before we jump to verse 5? No? Wait once? Okay. Hey, uh, Joel, I haven't asked you to read in a while. Do you want to read verse 5? Materid bat paro lechotz al hayeor v'naaroteha holchot al yadeor tere et hateva betoch hasuf atishlach et amata batikachea. Good. While you're translating, Rick, I'm going to put you on the spot after he's untranslating, can you tell us what you think is is particularly interesting? And I'm gonna I'm gonna lead the witness in the fact that it's particularly uninteresting about the trump of this verse. It's a very rare verse, but it's rare in its normativeness. Okay, uh, go ahead. 
The daughter of Pharaoh went down to bathe in the Nile, um, and her maidens um, are walking on the shores of the Nile, and she saw the um, Your audio is a little choppy, uh, so you're sounding like um, like oh. an Ewok a little bit. And there's something wrong with an Ewok, but I uh, I want to hear your. Um, she saw the um, the the thing, the vessel, right. um, in the um, in the in the reeds, and she sent her um, her uh, servants to. Oh, and. She sent her servant, and she took it. Good. Okay, good. So you actually translate it perfectly. You translate it in a way that, that opens up some of the ambiguity of the verse. So um, I'll go, we'll go back a bit. The first kind of ambiguity or, or quote-unquote, problem in the verse is the preposition al. I love, you translate it. She, the, the daughter of Pharaoh went down to bathe, I think you said, in the water or in the Nile, because that's, that's the normal English preposition. Al means on or upon, right? So there's, so there's something about that al which is strange, okay? Um, I love how you rendered the hochot into the present tense because the hochot is a present tense verb, but it doesn't make sense in the, in the, in the flow of the sentence. She went down to bathe on, in, upon the water, and almost like a parenthetical clause, right? Her, at, her maidens are walking on or by near near the river, it, it goes from past tense, past tense represented in above haipuch into a present tense. Okay, then back into past tense as represented by vav haipuch. She saw that um, that vessel within the rushes, and I like how you kind of hesitated before you translated the second of the final two verbs. She sent her handmaiden, and she took it which means that the subject of atikacheha is not clear because the antecedent subject of atikacheha is a subject of vatishlach, which means that if you're carrying over the she, it would say she, the daughter of Pharaoh, sent or dispatched her handmaiden. And then if it's the same subject, she, the daughter of Pharaoh, took it or took her, except that we, our, our, our brains want to read it differently. She sent the handmaiden and then now we switch subjects and she, the handmaiden, took it. Okay. So those are all questions, right? Those are no resolutions. Um, let me pause for a second. Rick, what do you think? That's why I put you on the spot. Sorry. Yeah. So you're asking about the trope. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a full boat. It, it, it's a complete set of... Um, what you would normally see in a sentence, uh, the Merchatibcha and then the Munachet Nachta and then Merchatibcha, you have both of them, and then Sof Pasuk. Um, and then, in, in, you know, starting it is a Mapach Pashta and the Munach, Sakev Katon, all of it. And then after the Et Nachta, you have a full Mapach Pashta family again. So um, it, it, it's, it's very. Um, it's full of trope. It's it's all there. And I would say, I would add to that, it's very uncommon it, to the extent to which this verse is filled with only common tropes, right? 
that when, when, when you're teaching, when I'm teaching Torah trap, the first two families or clauses I teach is mapach munach katon munach sof pasuk. Yes. And a verse never appears that way. Like, uh-huh. you know, sometimes one of the three, uh, sometimes the munach is gone or the, or the, or the mapach is gone. And the fact that you have on both sides of the fulcrum of the nachta, and then after the Etnachta, the only thing that's missing is the Munach before the Sof Pasuk. So it's, um, it, it's odd in that it's filled with totally non-odd verses and all of them. And you almost never have a verse that way. That's the most common music of Torah, which you almost never hear in that precise combination. Without being interrupted by a rare trope, yeah. Correct. And without the clauses missing any of their of their of their of their units except for the last monarch before the sofasu. Well yeah, yeah, yeah. So so to to your point then, it would be a mercha, by the way, before the sofasu. Correct, correct. Thank you. Okay. So it's missing. So that means something happened there and uh we should pay attention to it in 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 this common I mean it's not so common a baby going down a river, but in in this thing something happened for them to notice that there's a basket there's um uh, the, but it's missing. So yeah, and that there. and that that second to last trump that isn't there at the phantom mercha before yeah. Batik in some ways musically amplifies the point that Joel was was bringing out before we're discussing, which is that there's a, a slightly abrupt pro, abrupt pause before the sof pasuk, right? Vatishlach etamata. Instead of and you have the mapik that kind of halts things too, because you have correct. to aspirate, you have to stop your breath. Correct. Um, it, so it, that, it there's another little division there. Amplifying our question as to who the subject of atikacheha is. Yeah. Okay, I see a lot of hands. I see Vered, I see Larry Diane, I see Barry, I see Tova. So Vered, yalla. <coughs> I'd like to talk a little bit about the word amata. Okay. So maybe it can explain a little bit about your questions. So in Hebrew language, we have two words that are ama. And the the letters are the same, the vowels are different. So if you look at the vowels, you'll know which is which. But this one here looks like it's vowelled as one meaning, which I will explain, but it's actually the second meaning. So one meaning is the word ama, aleph mem hey, with two kamats, means a maiden, a, a, ser- a, a female servant. And if you look at this word, one might want to say is that the daughter of Pharaoh sent her helper, assistant, maiden, one of her surrounding women to take the basket. But there is another ama spelled the same letters with the patach under the aleph and uh, the gesh chazak in the mem and it means either a finger, the middle finger or it means part of the hand. Right. And so 
I would read that this is part of the hand, meaning that she stretched out her hand, tishlach, her hand, not the servant, but she, but Paro, stretched her hand, though the vowels don't match, right. of the word amata, uh, but I will read it, her hand, she stretched her hand uh, in this bamboo, in this soup, and she took, she took the basket. Right. So did you all know that Vered was Rashi? Because Kolakavod Vered, because Zibidiyuk, what's what Rashi is going to bring up. So uh, so I love the fact that you noticed that from a, a vowel perspective. Hold that thought, because when we finally get to the Rashi on that verse, he's gonna explore that. But that's exactly what is what is what Rashi is curious about, this double possibility of what the word ama means, which really changes the scene. And what I'm gonna ask everyone to think about is after Rashi speaks, as it were, and you build that upon what Vered said, um, what, what what's what's the meaning of the story that gets changed based on which way you read this ama? Right? And again, the basic vocabulary is ama is a maiden, and ama is a measurement, right? A measurement referring to a hand, right? For amot, right? You, it's a common Hebrew measurement of um, the first time we hear ama is in the story of Parshat Noach, right? Uh, it's it's normally the, the the distance between one's elbow and the tip of one's finger of an average person, right? Right. Great. Right. Um, Larry, Diane, and then um, Barry, and then Tova. Okay. Yeah, you, Larry, Diane. There you go. Okay. So this is more in the nature of a question about Hebrew grammar that I don't know. So holacha holchot is, as you commented, in the present tense. Normally in English, you would... Because my translation says, while her maidens walked along the Nile, but usually you would say, while her maidens were walking, which is, they were sort of meandering along in some extended time period, and that was interrupted with Pharaoh's daughter who came to bathe as a, like a discrete event. And I'm wondering, because Hebrew grammar, um, the um, verb, Verbs are simpler in form than in English and have less forms. I wonder if this is just the correct way to do it in Hebrew, which is to use the present tense. Yeah. So great question. Everett Fox translates that holchot the way you suggest it should be, which is to use the English that retains the form of the present by adding the a subject, almost like not really a subjunctive, right? Um, da, 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 da. Now, Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe in the Nile. It's a perfect verb, past tense. And her girls were walking along the Nile. So the walking looks like a present tense verb. Adding the were suggests that it's a a continuous present motion, but it it had started in the past, right? I forgot exactly what... Right. But but you know what I mean by by that. Um, Listen, tense tense is a a fabulously interesting thing in translating languages. But if you think about it, and in terms of the philosophy of language, tense is a way of telling a story, and the, the, the different tenses that appear in a language, it's not necessarily the case that every language um, matches with every other, because it also emerges from the way the culture which produced that language got used to relating 
stories and relating what happened. So it's, 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 there's, I don't think there's a one-to-one overlap, even in standard languages between all the tenses. There just isn't. Right? You, you can't, right? Um, even in modern Hebrew, um, Haiti rotse, I would like. Well, in English, the I would like sounds very different than the, the literal translation of Haiti rotse, I, I was, present tense, liking. There's just no, but but that's, but those two things mean the same thing to listeners who hear it hear it both in different in the, in the different languages. So I like that Everett Fox is suggesting that we we should not translate this as a pure perfect verb that they walked. We have to somehow make sense of the fact that there's a reason why it's hochot. And I would add on top of that, right? Why do we care, right? And what does the way in which that phrase is written indicate about what's significant about the fact that her maidens were walking there, had been walking there, are walking there? Is there some is there some information that is significant to our understanding the depths of the verse, and that is the is the information conveyed differently as a result of the verb that's chosen? Right? I form that as a question, not as an answer. Rashi's going to give his own interpretation of halachot. It's not clear to me, but you tell me otherwise, if his interpretation of halchot is related to the tense. It, it could be, but I, it's not obvious to me. Um, Larry, I, yeah, go ahead. Can I just add one thing? Yeah, please. Not about this, but Diane and I are, stu- are studying, reading, the Lev Shalem version of Pirkei Avot. Mm. Um, we just started it after Pesach. And there's a very interesting discussion about verb translation in there. Uh-huh. In the introduction, uh, I'm not going to get, try to give it right now, but any of you who have it, Marshall has it because we bought it together. Uh, it's very interesting and talks uh, not about this particular case, but about this issue. Is there like a nugget you want to share with us about it? I only remember that Diane and I argued about it after we had it, and it had to do with the way to translate Ralph so and so, Haya Omer, used to say. Uh, yeah, right. That particular expression. Yeah. Did, did you resolve the argument? Everything okay? <laughs> Always. Okay, Barry, and then um, Tova, and then and then Vered. Well, we'll go make a circle. Barry Vakasha. Trying to unmute you, Barry. Oh, right. I did. Okay, okay. So um, normally we get the gist here is that the, the, the maidens went down to the river, picked up the basket, and gave it to uh, Pharaoh's daughter. But what we're getting here is that the maidens just happen to be walking along with her. Pharaoh's daughter saw the basket. My translation says, and she fetched it. Pharaoh's daughter fetched it. So what's happening is she's the active one, Pharaoh's daughter. She's the active one. She's not the passive one on receiving. She actually, that's, that's what's going on over here. Yeah, uh, it's certainly possible. It's also certainly possible maybe to flip it that the Torah, right, to... To if it's the case that we're supposed to read the verse that it's the maidservant, not her, who fetches it, and it's unclear, it's ambiguous, it's unclear, then it suggests that it's um, that there's a certain serendipity to the fact that all that that all this happened because it just so happened to be that while Pharaoh was Pharaoh's daughter was walking by the Nile, so was so, so were her maidservants, such that she had someone to fetch. Maybe having us think about the fact that had she had not had someone to fetch and go do this manual labor, she wouldn't have done it. Right? Just a possibility with the fact that otherwise it's not it's it's not critical that we understand that those uh, maidservants are walking there. Barry, go ahead. 
So at, at, at the minimum, she, she caused her maidens to fetch it for her. She, Pharaoh's daughter was the causative actor. Uh, yes, if we read Vatishlachet Amata as she sent her maidens, correct. She, 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 she's the causative one. Well, we don't know who the subject of Vatikachehu is. It might be Bat Paro, it might be the Amma, it might be the, it might be the, the, the object of the previous clause. She dispatched her Amma, her maidservant, and she, the she there, very well could be the maidservant who was dispatched. But that, that's the deliciousness of the ambiguity there. Oh. Uh, Tova, and then Vered, and then Rick. Where are you, Tova? I can't find you. Okay. Okay. This uh, kind of builds on, well, it doesn't build on, but I had the idea, and it fits really well with what Vered said. I found the sentence is very confusing in terms of the picture that it builds because we have her going down, then there's this allusion to the the women walking or her girls are walking along the river and then sending the maid. It's, I think what I found confusing is that what is the difference between her women who are walking and the servant or the, or the maid that she sends? Uh, It's, it's almost as if that appears from nowhere. Um, if it had said, and she sent the women down to get it, then you've established their presence. But we have her, we have these women, and then all of a sudden we have this singular maid uh, appear that doesn't seem to have an antecedent in a way. And I just find the picture confusing. And it's Vered's comment I thought was wonderful, uh, this suggestion that, in fact, it's something different going on. Great, Tova. The, the, you're, you're right. The, the scene is confusing. And also, if you pull out from the scene a little bit, if you, if you, you know how, remember, in, in, in like sixth grade grammar, you had to like graph a sentence to see like, yeah. you know, uh, where everything was. If you graphed the visuals of the scene, you'd have this little baby boy floating and all around him are women mm-hmm. who are kind of being set up in such an, an, an arrangement that's ultimately going to lead to his salvation. You have his sister, Batetzava Achoto. You have Batparo, who is Tered Alayor. You have the Na'aro to our Hochot. You have the Amma, who is being sent. So you have this little baby boy who's going to be the savior. And all around him, almost, if, you, if I may, womb-like, just surrounding him on the verge of a precipice of, of saving him. And, but, but it's unclear who's doing exactly what. Um, who is next? Um, I forgot already. So if you're, uh, who else was I going to call on? Vered's doing something. <laughs> I can't, I can't, can't um, I know that Vered wanted to speak. How about we do Vered, Steve, and then Diane and Larry, and then Rebecca and Leonard. Vered, a for Um. Okay, so... I want to suggest in uh, Hebrew grammar for the word holchot, if I would put the word hayu, holchot. So it's an expression kind of when I say hayiti olechet or hayiti shota in the sense that I used to or I was about to, then that sentence would make sense if I can visualize it that her na'arot used to work or were about to work by the river 
but then the verb changes to single form, not to plural, and it it you know matches with the word vatered, and it says vatera, and she saw. So the subject changes now from the girls to the daughter of Pharaoh. And then if you read it this way, then you understand Vatishlach and she stretched out her sand, not her, not her servant, but herself. And so it just gives you the picture that the girls were just walking about their walking. Right. But, she, but, 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 but Vered, so, so, and I'm not, I'm not expecting you to answer this question, but what you said in, invites a question, and why do we care then? If we're going to eventually re- read the end of the verse, I'm, I'm basically just setting up Rashi, who has a, like a totally wonderful and fanciful comment. If we're going to read the verse at the end, potentially as all of the action is d- being done by the Bat Paro, and that Ama is not her servant, but her hand, then what, what, what's the information being conveyed about her girls taking a stroll by the river? Right. So that so once you focus in on the interesting parts of the grammar of the verse, and all of a sudden you have a phrase that doesn't add anything, right? And that is the engine of the mid, of the rather wacky midrash that Rashi is going to bring up. Well, maybe maybe it just points from the very beginning the special relationship between Bat Paro and Moshe that there is no in between anybody. I mean, she saw him; she took the basket. She's about to help him and save him, and ah. and, she, and she has this relationship with Miriam. Nice. Who I failed at the last meeting to say, but Titiatsev, it's a reflexive, like we say, that Miriam stationed herself by herself, meaning nobody told her to do it, but the Torah kind of hints that is going to be a, rela- a special relationship between Miriam and her brother to be born. Right. And so that's the relationship. Nobody told her, go stand there and see what happened. Right. Her instinct, herself, and she presented herself the same way I want to say here that it just gives um, an introduction, let's say, to the relationship between Bat Paro and Moshe. Great, and I, and and another thing that you that you put out there that I want to just say louder that again, if we're going to read the second half of the verse as it all being by Bat Paro, the fact that and this is not the way Rashi reads it, not quite. The fact that the verse also tells us that her maidens were walking by the river intensifies the fact that they did nothing but she went and got the baby, as opposed to the standard way of reading the verse, which is that she dispatched them to do it. So like read or know, you have a lot of women walking by the river. You have the, 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 the royalty who normally wouldn't get involved in such stuff. You have all these maidens who might have more of, a, of, a, of, a, of an empathic reaction to an abandoned child. They ignore the child, but she extends her hand and gets it, possibly. All right, so many hands, which is wonderful. We're going to go down the list. Steve, Diane, Larry, Joel, Tova. And then Marshall. Remember, guys, raise your digital hand because that I'm not looking at everyone simultaneously. There's a way to raise your hand in the screen, and that the screen tells me that instantly. Um, I, I couldn't. It was just by coincidence. 
Marshall, that I saw you there. All right, Steve. Uh, hi. Uh, Steve, good morning. So I had a, uh, a, a rabbi when I was very young who always told this story, and, I, and it, it really resonated with me. But he said that she's walking with her maids, but it's a maidservant that she sends to get the child. So he would always say it was a Jew. It was a bunch of women walking with, with their Jewish servants, and mm-hmm. she sent a Jew. So there was the symbolism of a Jew picking up Moses and handing the, the vehicle of the Egyptian defeat to the daughter and saying, here you go, choke on this, was what he used to say. So it wow. was, But it was always, I always loved that thought process around this particular verse. And, and uh, you know, the, it was the Jewish maidservant who gave... Moses to the Egyptians. Interesting, right? Because who, who else might be the servants of, of the Pharaoh if not the people who we learned were enslaved in the previous chapter? Wonderful. Call a to that rabbi. Diane, Larry, then Joel, then Tova, then Marshall. Okay, so I want to ask a question and answer it. <clears throat> Why would she send her servant to pick up the baby when she would know her servant would know and say, that she was violating the Pharaoh's orders. It's because she didn't. And how do we know that she didn't? Because we have to read the verses, two verses, and you commented on the plain vanilla nature of the trope. So the trope are wrong. And it shouldn't have been that way. It should have been the more unusual situation where under al ha there's a sof-pasuk, not an atnachta. So you have a simple clause that says that she went down. And then you know that she would not go down by herself. She's always accompanied. So then it tells you at the beginning of the next pasuk, and her maidens were walking along the Nile. They were distracted. They didn't see what she was doing. And she spied the basket in the absence of her maidens seeing it. And she reached out and she took the basket. Mm. And everything that follows from there on, all the other verses... It's she doing it without the knowledge of her maidens at all. Hmm. So the verse is actually telling us that, yes, the maidens were there, but they didn't see anything. Yeah. W- wonderful. Um, the, the notion of, uh, of correcting the truck is really interesting, particularly because one of the things that Rashi is going to say on, on this verse is also that there's something wrong in the verse. He's going to actually tell us that the verse was written the wrong way and you're suggesting that the verse was sung the wrong way and particularly if you as you hinted at if you continue with the next verse there are there, there continues to be these vav hahipuchs what's the vave hahipuch where it's still she we'll, we'll look at it slower but she opened it up and she looked and she had mercy on it she 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 so the only interruption of that she in this whole maybe two or as you're suggesting three verse unit is this parenthetical clause? Her, 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 um, her maidens were walking, not in the fact that they were walking close, but walking kind of distracted. They were, they were strolling. She, she was focused on saving. They were strolling. Lovely. All right, Joel, Tova, Marshall, and Rebecca Leonard. Your hand was up. Um, if you wanted to be back up, put it back up. I no longer see it. Uh, Larry sort of stole my thunder a little bit. I'm, I agree with him completely. I think it's important that I'm going to do a staging. Tell me if you think it works grammatically and logically that she was actually on the river, Al Hayor, and they were 
Aliyad. They were like on the banks. She was actually down on the water. You're saying that Al is more close than Aliyad in this stage. Yes. Okay. Um, and that was her entourage. She had, but she always had her maidservant by her side, you know, to help her. Right. She saw the basket. She sent away her maidservant. Mm. She didn't want anyone to see that she was taking the uh, the basket out of the out of the river. So she sent everyone away so no one would see. And then she took the the basket. I never read it that way, and that's really interesting. Um, the root shin lamedchet in the pa'al usually means to send. In the pl, but had it been vatishaleach, it would have been um, it would, would have been more easily translated as and she just and she cast and she sent away right. But 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 still, it's an interesting read that the vatishlach is so that she could do this in private, not so that she sent the, the maiden right uh, to go do it, and that asks, and that keeps the subject of the vatikacheha as her bat paro. Because and then it's one continuous female singular subject for all these verses. Really interesting read. Um, and also notice, folks, that with the uh, ambiguity of amata as maiden or as Barrett pointed out, hand. Also notice that the verse also has the word yad in it. So there's something about yad and ama, right? Yad and ama are in the verse, even if we're not reading them either, having to do literally with hand. But they're, they're, they're present in the verse. There's something very intimate and handy about this verse. Tova, Marshall. And then we're going to read Rashi. Read Rashi. Um, yeah, just to further the, the notion of the, this being the action of the bat paro, I find something powerful in just the word vatere, that she perceived she was the one who saw it. And then to cheat a little and jump into the next verse opens it and she says um, again you know this it isn't like maybe this could this be but this is one of the Hebrew children I mean there's there's a level of perception and awareness in her that seems to be being emphasized here mm. which again would go along with her being the actor rather mm. than great uh, great Tova thank you for that hmm um, Marshall. Uh, the trope system, and for Barrett about talking about the multiple meanings of the word Aleph, the Shoresh Aleph Mem Hey. Uh, at least my understanding of the way the trope system works, we have two types of tropes, conjunctive tropes, which join, and disjunctive, separate. In my understanding, I'm going to have to follow up on this later today. I think that the katon under the word, or over the word yor, is not as strong of it as a disjunctive trope as is, is a etnachta, which is under the word yor. That's number one. Number two, thank you to Verit again for amata, uh, multiple meanings there. I have a volume called Unculus on the Torah by Stanley Wagner and one other, Israel Drazen. And the way in which they translate the unculus was most fascinating to me as I tie it in to the what I just mentioned in terms of the way the tropes work. They say the following, and I'm going to read it with the punctuation. 
they say Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, comma. So that's my katon. While the maidens walked along the riverside, period. And that is, in effect, like the etnachta. Which is ha- kind of how Larry was suggesting, kind of putting yeah. a period in the middle of this verse. Go ahead. She saw the basket in the thicket and sent her slave girl to fetch it. Hmm. And the footnote which they have there is, hence Pharaoh's daughter could have extended her hand to fetch the child or sent her female slave to do it. So, depending upon the translation. Hmm. So the richness of the text and the ambiguity of the text really leads us to all types of wonderful outcomes. That was that was um, uh, Alter that you just read? No, this is Unculus on the Torah by Drazen and Wagner. Got it. Great. Um, okay, I think all the hands that I can see are down. Re- Rebecca Leonard, you had your hand up before. Do you want? No? Okay. Um, so let us... Oh, Barry, yes. Barry, remember, see if you can digitally raise it, because I'm not always looking on the screen that has your face, and I don't want to miss it if you want to say something. So, yeah, I, I didn't have time. You were going to move on, so I had it was fast to raise my hand. I just, I, I, Marshall, ending on, on Marshall, yeah. So either way, Pharaoh's daughter was the causative. I, either she reached her hand to do this, or she sent her slave girl to do it, but it was Pharaoh's daughter was the causative. That's yeah. the key thing, because that's the story is going to continue. We, it's, she's the causative one. Right. Pharaoh's daughter, whom Cecil B. DeMille uh, named Bithia, <laughs> of course. But we, of course, know that her name is Batya, right? The, her, the, the daughter, the daughter of, of the Holy One is Pharaoh's daughter, which is really interesting. It's interesting on, 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 on more than one level. Um, okay. Let's go back to Joel. Where are you, Joel? And let's read the Rashi, the, 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 the series of Rashis on this verse. Okay. Okay. The Chotzalayar Yor Saras Hamikre Uparshehu. I don't understand that. Okay. So, okay. Put the verse and explain it. Right. So Samech Reish Samech means. First of all, it can mean to castrate. Le Saris, a Saris is a, is a eunuch. Um, in when when a Parshan discusses it, it's basically saying there's. It, it's actually a chutzpahic thing to say. Rashi saying this verse is out of order. Or like like someone came and jumbled up the words. All the words are correct, but they shouldn't. But they're not in the order they should have been. So lisares means here to 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 yeah to invert it to 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 put to to move words around. Um, and it's in the verb sares here in Rashi's voice is in the command. He's commanding us, as it were, sares. Invert the text, ufarshehu, and explain it as if it were written the following way. Okay, so what's that? And the daughter of Paro went down to the Nile to bathe in it. Right, so what's the difference? Um, as, what, 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 what has he corrected in his mind by inverting some of these words? It was our, it was our first named problem in the verse, what to do with that al? Rashi saying, al does not follow lirchotz. You don't swim on something, right? And and you see how at the last word of Rashi's comment, he puts the word bo. He adds the preposition to or in. 
what do you 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 you, rochate, you bathe in something, not on something. Um, and also remember that in in he's not saying this explicitly, but al ayin lamed and el aleph lamed, which we translate differently. We normally translate al as on or upon. El we translate to or towards, but there's an interchangeability between those two in the biblical text. So he says, first of all, don't read the al as on, but 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 to or towards, and then say that where did she she, she descended vatired al hayor she descended to the river to do what lirchotzbo. So put the al hayor, which it comes after the lirchotz in the verse, before. In your translation, she went down. Where did she go down? Towards the Yaor. What did she do? Why did she go down there? Lechotzbo to bathe it. Okay. So far, even with all of the thickness that we discussed before, not much has changed in in our understanding of what happened based on this uh, comment. I'd read the next one. Al yad hayor, etzel hayor. So al yad means um, next to, by. Correct. See the, the portion of Yoav by him, or by, by me, al-yadi. Correct. And that is uh, in the meaning of literal hand. Um, Because a man's hand or arm is next to him. Right. So he's saying at least two things in this little comment. So now that we've said that the al in the first phrase is the place that she descended to, the river, and not the place, not, not suggesting the action of the bathing. Now we have not just an al, we have an al-yad, literally on the hand of. He translates al-yad as etzel, nearby, next to. And he says, it's like a verse from the second book of Samuel, chapter 14, where the speaker is saying, go down to this the, 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 uh, the field, the portion of Yoav, el-yadi, which is ne- near me, by my hand. And now he, he Rashi puts it in his own parenthetical clause. When you have the, the the phrase al-yad, referring, meaning nearness, what he wants you to understand that as, literally close enough to put your hand on it, right? It's not just a, a metaphor. It's if something is being described as near, and the way it's being described as near is al-yad, think of it as as no more than a hand breath away, right? Which is going, to, or, or, or a hand away, which is going to impact what Rashi says later in the verse, Really, a hand. That the hand of a person is is really close to it. Okay, let me pause there. A- anything of the of these first two Rashi's that people want to say as it impacts the, this really interesting conversation we're having before we read the Rashi's. Barry. Right, Barry. Okay, uh, I'm interested in Rashi's use of the word bow, so it's it kind of redundant. I mean, uh, she she went there and there there there, uh, it, as again separating herself. She she 
she went there separating herself from the maidens. Yes, she in the in this in this way of reading it, she, she she's she's the only only one who's bathing, correct? But she, she went down she, in the water. She she caused herself to se- she to separate herself from her maidens. Yes, except that the way Rashi's reading Al Yad as being very close by is suggesting that um, the maidens are really upon the water a, a, a hand away, also setting up the possibility that it could be one of them who is sent to fetch the basket, which is exactly how Rashi is going to read it. Oh. Um, Diane Larry. I'm emboldened by the fact that you yourself used Cheskuni in a recent Devar uh, Torah. So Cheskuni answers the question about Al by citing some other ca- occasions when Al is used to mean in mm-hmm. and not on. And I'm learning that there's this, it's not a conversation because it's one direction, but it's a really interesting conversation if you read Cheskuni and Rashi together. Yes. They, Cheskuni does an awful lot to uh, elaborate, sometimes to, to contradict or correct um, or to extend the arguments of Rashi. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm just looking at that for the first time right now. Correct. I think he's reading Al here, the Chizkuni, as, as, as by or, or close to, not in, but, but, your, but your point stands, right? When he gives the, the, the example of Al Charbacha Tichiyeh, um, that you're going to live by the sword, right? But like, like by means of, cl- close to it, right? That the al can mean the al the al can mean right. He he's saying to Rashi, no, it can be lirchotz al hayor because it doesn't mean didn't speak English obviously. He that she was swimming on the water, but al can mean in by means of using. Great, okay, um, okay. So it's the coming Rashi that really makes that that, that gets yet more interesting. So Joel, you're still up. The Rabotenu. And our sages translated holchot in the language of a bed. Or? Or death. Correct. In fact, it's death because a bed would be a tet, not a taf, right? So that comes out of nowhere, right? All of a sudden he says, I've told you what the pshat is. Un, you know, re, redo the order of the words. And you have the, 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 the maidens who are who are right nearby. But I think that Rashi, I know Rashi, is troubled by the fact that even if we correct the grammar about this why do we care about that data point? And why is it present tense? I think he's trying to answer both with this. He's suggesting, quoting once again, that page from Sota, right? If we were, if, when, when, whenever you do Daf Yomi and you get to pages 10, 11, 12 of Sota, this will, it'll be very familiar because it's, it's, it's actually a, a rather rare um, doublet or triplet of pages of Talmud that is really just doing straight midrash on the Torah. That the Talmud usually does not just do verse midrash. Occasionally, it, like, it definitely quotes verses from the Torah, but it doesn't read like a midrash. It reads like an associative um, text, part narrative, part interpretation, part law. But for a couple of pages in Sota, all the rabbis are doing are breaking down this scene in the Torah. So um, here he's saying um, that the whole, the 
Holchot al Yad Hayor reminds him, and we'll see why in a second, of a use of the verb holechet or holech, which means to die. Kimo. Oh, I can't hear you. Where'd you go? Ah, okay. Say it again. Kumo and that is from Bray Sheet 2532. Right. Anyone know the reference? Oh, yes. We did that. That's Yaakov saying, I'm about to die, no? Nope. No. Yaakov's in that scene, though. Who says, Kind of raise your hand or unmute yourself if you want to shout it out. Esav. Esav, right? So it's the beginning of Parsha, what is that? Toldot, right? Yeah, Toldot, where it's the encounter between Yaakov and Esav where the uh, birthright is sold, not the blessing with the birthright for a for Adashim, for lentil soup. And Esav famish is saying, I'm about to die, what do I need the birthright for? Now, Holech in that scene, in when Esav is speaking, is present tense, right? It's um, it, just like this verb is present tense, and it's a holech suggesting I'm, I'm, I'm on my way towards death. I'm on my way towards death. So here, Rashi says, ah, I have another hanging present tense use of the verb holech, even though it did not seem at all in the shot of the verse that these women were on the way to their death. But I, Rashi, am going to connect it based on the rabbis in Masechet Sotah. If, 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 if Esav holech, holech lamut, then these na'arot were holchot lamut. Why were they walking to their death? Keep going. Holchot lamut lefi shemachuba. Michuba. Michuba. They, okay, keep going. They were going to die because they did something to her. They... They, limchot. Limchot means to um, to prevent, to try to stop her hand. Okay, this is going to make this is going to um, amplify uh, some of Barry's comments in the last few in the last few minutes. Go ahead. What would? What, why? Why did these women um, deserve a death sentence? As it were. Wait. wait so no, so so translate that, or not translate. Answer. Someone answer that. What? What, what did they do? Such that they deserved a death sentence. They wanted to stop her from taking the basket. She was trying to save a life. They wanted to stop her. Someone said before, "We're living in an era where her father has decreed not to do this." So her father has decreed to take a life. She is about to save a life. They want to stop her from saving a life. Therefore, they surrender their life. According Aren't to the cart before the horse, why because Gavin said "vateretateva betochan suf." What's that? You're saying it's a cart before the horse because the verse has not yet told us that she saw the right. Yeah, yeah. Listen, you have you have to um, suspend disbelief a bit on many levels for any kind of midrash, particularly this one, right? And so the verse, midr- the rabbis would say back to you, right? I know what's about to happen in the verse, and so I'm I'm gonna import that knowledge in order to make this point. And keep reading, uh, Joel, in the Rashi, V'hakatuv. V'hakatuv misya'an. 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 Samech yud ayin. 
uh, much more common in ancient Hebrew than in modern Hebrew, means to help, to assist. Sometimes when people write bet hey on the top right of their page, they write Bezrat Hashem, but sometimes write it bet samach dalad besiyata dishmaya, with help from the heavens. So, so, um, means the verse itself helps, supports the reading of those rabbis that I Rashi just quoted. Why? Why else would it bother us saying that the maidens were walking? Which we've been dealing with for now 40 minutes, right? Whether we think what happens at the end of the verse is that she herself goes down to save, take the basket, or she dispatches one of her, her uh, maidservants, why do we need to know? It's certainly why we know in the present tense that their women were that the women were strolling along the river. Now, some of you offered some very interesting readings as to why, right? You, when Rashi asks a question, doesn't mean that his answer is the only answer. I love what I think Larry said before, or maybe it was Larry, I forgot who, um, that suggesting that sh- they were distracted taking a stroll. She was focused on doing a mitzvah. That's a good answer, but the question still stands. Why do we need to know that information? And I believe that the fact that that somewhat extraneous information phrase in the present tense is what more loudly awakens this memory of ani holech lamut holech cholchot holech cholchot and that had it been um va 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 telachna hanaharot aliad naor that his, that her that the servants went uh went walking on the or then it would not have been a sufficiently large or interesting engine to drive this midrash Diane Larry your hands up Okay, not original with me, not only Cheskuni, but I think it comes from the Sota, must come and I'm shocked that Rashi didn't know this, or at least he didn't include it. That's not even the mitzvah. It goes deeper than that. What was she going down to the river to do? She was using the river as a mikvah. Hmm. And she didn't want to do it in front of them, because they might prevent her from doing that, because it would be a sin against her father so to speak. So there's another level of where they would be punished because they would want to prevent her from doing something or doing a mitzvah. Yeah, interestingly, um, interestingly, I'm having a hard time trying to set this up so that whoever is speaking is the one who's being seen, but it's, that's not, it's not working as easily as I wanted it to be. Um, Chizkuni quotes really most of this Rashi. And tells us that Rashi reads it as if it meant that they were going to die. And Cheskuni quotes the remainder of the Midrash in Masechet Sota that Rashi just um, quotes a small portion of. If you read it out, um, those of you who have our text, it's the third from the right, third, third down on the right column, but on the previous page, on the page in which this verse began, Cheskuni halfway through, Holchot. Um, Heresh Rashi Lamut. Rashi explained it to mean they went to die. Omer, as it's similar to what it says, Hine Anochi Holech Lamut. Behold, I'm going to die. That's what Asab says. Kedi'ita, the Perak Kama, the Sota. As it says in the uh, first chapter of Sota, our page. Ba Gabriel, Gabriel the angel came, Vechavtan Bakarka. And smack them to death on the ground. It's image of Hoshana Rabbah. When you do that with your Hoshanot, that's Chavita, right? And that's what, it's as if Gabriel took them. It's not a pretty image at all. And it's like, whack them on the ground. 
these these na'arot until they died. Mishum why shemichuba? They wanted to stop her. Bevaparo. They wanted to stop Bevaparo. Bar minchada the shayarla, except for one, the shayarla who remained. Delav orach ara devat malka lemikam lechuda, because Gabriel knew that it wasn't acceptable for the daughter of a king to walk alone. So she, he, Gabriel spared one of them uh, from this death. And which one did he, how do we know that? Because different than the way Barry wants to read it, he, Chizkuni is reading and the Midrash is reading that one was left over and that's the Ama who was sent to actually go fetch the, the, uh, the basket. Um, okay. Um, I see a lot of hands up and we're almost out of time. So let me just, uh, Rick, Tova, Marshall, Barry, Diane, Larry, if we have time, unless Diane, Larry already spoke. Rick, Vakasha. Hi, um, I'm okay. glad you got to the angel there. Uh, so his Cooney does it too. So um, um, I didn't like it that uh, an angel would hurt anybody. So um, in my book, I'm going to have it uh, as a big wave uh, that um, that just fills the uh, the handmaids with water and then leaving one uh, to uh, to get the basket. Yeah, this is a this is a particularly violent angel in this in this midrash, right? Yeah. But a violent angel enacting violence on those who were enacting violence and by stepping in the way of somebody who wanted to do kindness. If, 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 we, if we add that context, right? They're, 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 uh, they're on a merciful mission of destruction. <laughs> Tova, Marshall Barry. Oh, hold on, Tova. We both, I, you unmuted yourself and I unmuted you at the same time. So that, so that ended up in a, in a mute. All right, I'm here again. <laughs> um, interesting as Rashi is, I still, I, I, I agree that you have to explain why that phrase is included, but it seems to me that it is a more than sufficient explanation to say that, of course, Bat Paro would be, be with her attendants, and it has been forbidden to save the Hebrews, so how could it be that she did this and so they give us this phrase in its own little ethnata phrase, separated from anything else, that they were walking. As, you, as we said in the very beginning, they were not aware it was happening. And that seems to me to be carried on because then we have in the next verses, this is intent focus on her opening the basket, her recognizing immediately who that is, and then immediately her elbow, Miriam saying, let me take the child. So this is all done in the absence of any knowledge by those who might have reported it. Great. Sorry, I find that stronger than Rashi. <laughs> yeah, great. I mean, we're studying Rashi not to bow down to Rashi. Right? We're studying Rashi because he, he does great surgery on the verse and then opens up these, these crevices that we can crawl into ourselves. And before I, I call him Marshall, just to go back to the, one of the first things we said in this verse, this is not, there's no hard Hebrew in this verse. And as we said, it's, it's abnormally simple trup. And we have no idea what this verse means. We've been at this verse for an hour, and 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 if, particularly if you if you do do the exponential work of of adding together all the possibilities of each clause, and then you know a, you know a a a a or a b a a or a a b a or a a b right. We're, we're, each clause has its own 
set of possibilities, there are 16 or 24 different ways of understanding the very basic information. And I love the fact that a verse whose structure is, is like textbook simple, whose Hebrew has no vocabulary, is one of the hardest verses to, to make sense of. And it's a critical verse in setting up the story. It's just beautiful stuff. Barry. I know, Marshall and Barry. I called on Marshall first. Go ahead, Marshall. Can't hear you yet, Marshall. Trying to unmute you. There you go. I know we're at 931 now, but I wanted to look at Sephorno. Maybe we should postpone that till next week because you know, everybody's assuming that the princess is down by the at the river and Sephorno has a totally different reading of it, which maybe we'll talk about next week. It might take too long to go through it right now. So, th- so remind us so that we'll start with that uh, Sforno. I'll take a, I haven't looked at it, so I'll take a close look at it beforehand so that we can start there next week. Barry, you get the last comment. Okay, so two, two, two quick things. So um, the, 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 the walking to death uh, imagery, the, the metaphor, um, and, and the, the angels are preventing the maidens from interfering. The, the, on, 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 on the, with the power of potential death, but they don't know this, but they're being prevented from looking. The other is a compromise. Okay, so uh, either uh, Pharaoh's daughter her physically fetched it, or she caused her maiden to fetch it. So I'll leave it there. It's, it's more important that we end in love. I accept the compromise, and um, I understand why. Um, Rick is troubled by the notion of an angel beating women to death, right? That's not a pleasant image. Um, I just want to say two things on that, right? Remember that in rabbinic law and lore, midah keneged midah, measure for measure, is a very important way of understanding divine justice, that you get, you, you, and you, the punishment comes to you directly related to what you were doing or attempting to do. One of the most interesting expressions of that is the, the laws of edim zomamim, which you get in Masechet Makot. Adin Zumamim are witnesses who deliberately testify against someone else in a court case. And this, I don't think, is the case at all in American law. The punishment for testifying falsely in a court case is that you, the witness, get the very punishment that you were trying to, with your false testimony, um, enact upon the, the person who's charged, right? So if I claim that you, Rick, God forbid, or, um, uh, I testify that you committed a sin or a crime whose punishment was capital. And it's found out that I am a false witness intending to do that. My punishment as a false witness is, is, is a death sentence, right? It, it's, uns, it's unsparing a way for the Jew, Jewish judicial system to say that what you say under oath with someone else's life in your hands has to be understood as if your life is in your hands. So, this, an anachronistic way of taking Mishnaic law and throwing it into this text, but we're throwing it in this text because the same rabbis who created that Mishnaic law are writing this midrash, right? You, uh, handmaidens, are preventing the saving of a life, then you, handmaidens, have surrendered your life, right? It's, it's, um, it is brutal and, and also very just in some way, particularly if we can think about it conceptually and not that it actually happened. Okay, uh, thanks for the extra four minutes. Have a great Wednesday. Wonderful stuff. Uh, See you soon and often. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. 
If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.